many believe in the next generation? How many refuse to believe the lie that our best days are behind us as Americans? I refuse to believe that. I don't have any choice. I got two Gen Zers. Anybody else got Gen Zs? Those 7 to 27s that are creative, that are brilliant, that are unashamed, that are powerful, that are Satan's worst nightmare. Amen. I'm not going to give up on them. I, I love to see that. You know, it's great when they can go water sliding across the, the uh, slip and slide, but it's even greater when they're in the altar with their hands raised. Amen. I don't know where we're going to go. I've prayed about it all week and for weeks, actually, since I got this assignment, but it might be that we do a little prayer for Generation Z at the end of this, if you'll stay with me today. Um, I saw, I read a book recently called Gen Z by Dr. Billy Wilson from ORU. Did you see the ORU uh, booth in the lobby out front? We don't do a lot of promotions, but that's a safe place. That's a spirit-filled, tongue-talking university. That if your child is looking for a great education, see Rhonda down here after church and uh, check out what they're doing. But um, excuse me, I'll, when it says Kevin Wallace, I always please tell Pastor Jeremy that due to his obnoxious and relentless focus on Georgia and his unbiblical critical spirit toward the Tennessee Vols. I simply have one question for him. Where will you work tomorrow? Is it okay to have a little fun in church? You know, we ought to have abundance of joy. This is a good life. This is a life that we should enjoy. God wants us to enjoy our life on earth while we're on our way to heaven. Not our final destination, this life is but a vapor, but we ought to enjoy it, amen? I couldn't help but think when, when we saw this Jersey day and everybody started talking about game day, I'm kind of a sports freak, y'all know that. And I heard a story about the true home run champion in Major League Baseball, Henry Hank Aaron. Come on, somebody. This was back before the juiced baseballs, the juiced bats, and the other juices that we refrain from talking about. When Hank Aaron was, and still is in my opinion, the champion of home runs in baseball. And I couldn't help but remember a story I heard that happened way before I was born. This was a long time before I was born, but the 1957 World Series, Henry Hank Aaron, was a rookie or a second year player for the Milwaukee Braves before they moved to the Atlanta Braves. And there was a famous, kind of an infamous catcher for the New York Yankees that they were playing against named Yogi Berra. Anybody ever heard of Yogi Berra? Great philosopher, very articulate, I'm just kidding. Yogi Berra was the catcher. And part of the catcher's duty is to get inside the head of a hitter. So when Henry Hank Aaron came to the plate in the World Series playing for the Milwaukee Braves in 1957, Yogi Berra said, hey, Hank, hey, Hank, you gonna strike out? Aaron didn't acknowledge him. Hey, Hank, you, you, you can't hit, you ain't nothing. He didn't acknowledge him, simply kept quiet. Finally, he said, Yogi noticed that the trademark on the bat, anybody play baseball? They taught us in the, back in the day that you're supposed to take the trademark, the part you can read, and turn it upwards 
in a position to where you can see it upwards, okay? But Hank had his turned downward. And Yogi Berra said, man, you're so bad at baseball, you don't even know how to hold the bat. Don't you know that you're supposed to turn the trademark upwards so you can read it? Aaron didn't acknowledge him. First pitch, ball one. Yogi started again. Hank, you're still holding the bat wrong, man. Flip the bat around. You can't read it. You got to turn the bat around where you can read it. Strike one. One one's the count. Aaron still has not acknowledged Yogi Berra. Finally, he'd had all he could take. Berra said, man, you, you, you can't even play this game. You don't even know how to hold the bat. You got to hold the bat where you can read the trademark. The next pitch sailed 385 feet over the left field wall. Henry Aaron, Hank Aaron, the cleanup hitter in the lineup, the best hitter in the lineup, the best hitter probably to ever play baseball, circled the bases. As he got home, Yogi Berra had nothing to say. But Hank Aaron, the home run champion, looked at him and very simply said these words, I didn't come here to read. Today, I came here to read an expository preach out of 1 Samuel 30. Can you turn there with me? 1 Samuel 30. As you're turning, I, I think often about biblical stories and I think often about who I can identify. And I've told you before, uh, when I preached about Peter, I, I, could be, I could be Peter, I could be that guy. I could, I, could, I could crumble under pressure and then come back and say, God, I'm sorry. I could, I could cut Malchus's ear off with my sword if he messed with my Jesus. So, you know, and then I would hope that God could forgive me because I've been forgiven of so much, I would understand forgiveness. Therefore, I could preach in the upper room so I can identify with Peter. A lot of people can identify with Abraham and say, I, I wanna be Abraham. I just wanna be a friend of God, known as a friend of God. I talked with my brother Torrance Farmer last time I preached on David, talked about Godfidence. His confidence was not in himself. His confidence was in his God. So I can identify a lot with David. I feel a lot like David. David was incredibly, incredibly competitive. David had stupid confidence. David was, he was just crazy because he knew over and over again how God had proven himself to, to David. So David, he literally had no fear. He wasn't afraid, he, you know, he disbanded the lion, he, he tore up the bear, you know, he, he did all these things um, and he killed the, killed the giant. So the giant slayer. But the thing about David that we, that we call out is that the Bible calls him a man after God's own heart. So today I wanna to preach about David in a term and in a position that we don't talk a whole lot about, but David at Ziglag in 1 Samuel 30, out of the New King James Version, it says, now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded South and Ziklag, attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire. They had taken captive of the women and all who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but they carried them away and then went their way. In other words, they kidnapped them, okay? So David and his men came to the city and there it was burned with fire. Their wives, sons, and daughters had all been taken captive. Picture that. You come home and everybody and everything is gone. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. David's two wives, Ahinoam and Abigail, had been taken captive. 
Now David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of the people was grieved. Every man from his son and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Notice that. It's all gone, but David still was worshiping. David strengthened himself. David encouraged himself. Then David said to Abathar the priest, Abimelech's son, please bring the ephod to me. And Abathar brought the ephod to David, and David required of the Lord and said, shall I pursue the troops? Shall I overtake them? And he, he being God, answered him. How many believe that when you pray, God hears your prayers? How many of you believe that he actually answers your prayers? How many of you believe that he's answered every prayer you've ever prayed? How many of you have a problem when he says, wait a while? And what if the answer is no? Sometimes it is, but not in this case, because God said, pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and without fail, you will recover it all. Tell somebody, recover it all. Redemption, recover it all. Next verse. David went, he and the 600 men who were with him and came to the brook Besor, where those stayed who were left behind. But David did pursue, he and 400 men. So 400 went with him, 200 stayed behind. You with me so far? Those were so weary that they could not cross the brook Besor. Now, why were they weary? Commentary tells us that they just came back from a battle that was about 50 miles away from Ziklag. They didn't have cars, they walked. Camels carried their stuff, but they had traveled about 50 miles to Ziklag to get home only to see the ruins, so they were tired. It also tells us that the Brook Besor was about 15 miles from Ziklag, so that's about 65 miles. 200 of them were tired, 400 of them stayed with him. They found an Egyptian in the field, brought him to David, gave him bread and he ate, and they let him drink water. They gave him a piece of cake of figs, two clusters of raisins, and when he had his strength came back to him, for he had eaten no bread nor drunk water for three days and three nights. Then David said to him, to whom do you belong and where are you from? And he said, I'm a young man from Egypt, servant of an Amalekite. My master left me behind because three days ago I fell sick. We made an invasion of the southern area of the Cherethites and the territory belongs to Judah in the southern area of Caleb when we burned Ziklag with fire. This is the Egyptian talking. David said to him, can you take me down to this troop? So he said to him, I want you to notice the wording here. Swear to me by God. Somebody say, by God. Swear to me by God that you will neither kill me nor deliver me into the hands of my master and I will take you down to this troop. When he brought him down, there they were spread out all over the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of the great spoil which they had taken from the land of the Philistines and the land of Judah. David attacked them from twilight to evening the next day. Not a man of them escaped except for 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. They were scared. So David recovered all. Say that, recovered all. Recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away. David rescued his two wives. Nothing of theirs was lacking. Somebody claim it. I will not lack. Lack will never be my problem. 
either small or great, sons or daughters, spoiled or anything which they had taken from them. David recovered all. David took the flocks and herds that had driven before those other livestock and said, this is David's spoil. David came to the 200 men who had been so weary they could not follow David, whom they had made stay at the brook Besor. They went out to meet David and meet the people who were with him, and David came near to the people and greeted them. All the wicked and worthless men of those who went with David answered and said, because they did not go with us, this is the 400 that fought, watch this. Because they didn't go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we've recovered except for every man's wife and children that they may lead them away and depart. So the 400 said, hey, we fought, they didn't. We get to keep all the stuff, they don't get any. But David said, my brethren, you shall not do with what the Lord has given us, who has preserved us and delivered us into our hand that the troop came against us. For who will heed you in this matter? But as his part goes down to the battle, so shall his part be who stayed by the supplies. They share alike. This is teamwork. This is everybody doing what they're called to do. This is marketplace ministry. Those of you that don't work at church, this, this is part of the team. So it was, and from that day forward, he made a statute and an ordinance for Israel to this day. Now, when David came to Ziklag, he sent some of the spoil to the elders of Judah, to his friends saying, here is a present, say present, for you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. I'm not gonna read it, but there were 13 cities. 13 cities. Now, now picture this, think about this. David had lost it all. David had been out doing what he was supposed to do, doing the right thing, a man after God's own heart, leading the armies, going out, taking over, winning, 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 doing everything that he's supposed to do, only to come home and find that everything that he cared about, everything that he loved, everything he'd ever worked for was all gone. Not just gone, all his possessions were burned to the ground. Families kidnapped, not just left, kidnapped. Your mind's racing, what are they doing? What are they putting them through? What, think about your kids, what, what, would that, what would that thought be? How would you handle that? But he comes home and it's all gone. And then he goes to God and says, can I get it back? And that's where we catch up with this story. So there's this man after God's own heart who wants to please God. He wants to please his, his father. He wants to please his king. And he's doing everything that he's supposed to do, but he comes home and it's all gone. It's the ultimate comeback story. Insurmountable odds. It just continues on and on. See, that's just David's world. The lion, the bear, the giant. He's always against insurmountable odds, but David, no longer the shepherd boy, but not yet the king, is in a weird place. He's in a weird place because in modern day times, David, we, we would say it this way, all he did was win, 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 no matter what. But for the first time, David had lost. How do we handle loss? How do we handle times of challenging and, and, and things that don't go our way? He had lost it all, everything he worked for. He had been gaining territory. Think about this. David was actually working for King Saul. David was serving King Saul and everything David did built Saul's kingdom. Every battle that they won enlarged Saul's territory as the king. Comes home, it's all gone. Did nothing wrong. The enemy just stole it all. Has anybody ever experienced loss? 
I believe we all have. Has the enemy ever tried to take something from you or taken something from you and you looked at it and it was loss? Has anybody like me, moment of vulnerability, well, you're a pastor, you can't say that. Has anybody ever looked up and said, why God? Why? God, I don't understand this. This makes no sense to me. Why? Why God? Anybody ever lost a loved one? My 28, my brother at 28 years old, you know my story, most of you at 28 years old, the AIDS virus takes my brother. I, I, had, I had plenty of those moments. Why God? Why? I can remember sitting in a church in Georgia. I couldn't even listen to the pastor because all I could do was sitting in the back, struggling, trying to do what's right, trying to still follow God in my times of stress and distress and not understanding and confused. And why God? You could have healed him from that virus. You are Jehovah Rapha, God. You created our body, therefore you know how to heal our body. Why, God? Anybody ever felt that before? In this moment, David had to have cried out to God and said, why, God? Why? I'm out serving this king who loved me, then he hated me. I'm building his kingdom. I'm leading 600 men. All we do is win, win, win. Why, God? Why? He had nothing left except his warrior friends. His warrior friends, his team, his squad, and then they turned on him. The guys he was in the foxhole with for years turned on him and said, you brought us into this mess, so we're gonna take you out. We're gonna stone you. Stone David? Wait a minute. Stone, what, wasn't David prophesied over? Wasn't it Samuel? who said in, in chapter 16, who, Samuel, God sent out looking for David, who by the way, when he went to Jesse, David's father, Jesse offered him the other seven sons before he got to the little shepherd boy, David. Wasn't he prophesied to be the king? Wasn't he, wasn't he gonna be king one day? You can't stone David, but they thought they could. They were talking about stoning him. Anybody ever had a, a brother or a sister or a family member or a friend or your squad or your team turn on you? See, they sought to blame somebody because we can't take responsibility for ourselves. We, we didn't do it. It's not our fault. It's got to be somebody else's fault. That relationship, that, that's not my fault. That's her fault. She, she, I only said that because you said that. So you, you said it first, the chicken and the egg. <laughs> Got to blame somebody. So let's blame David. We'll stone David. But no, he was destined to be the king of, of Israel. King Saul himself had elevated this winter because of the victory in the valley. Pastor preached on the valley a couple weeks ago. There's only a valley because there's two mountains, right? Two-thirds of our time, hopefully, are spent on the mountaintops. Somehow we seem to focus sometimes on the valley, but there's a victory in the valley. And that victory in the valley of Eli is what King Saul promoted David over. Wanted him in his own home, brought him into his own home. Come, 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 let him live, come live with me. I need a little of that to rub off on this household. Come, come live with me. And when you live, you know what? I'm gonna put you as commander over all the armies. You are my guy, David. You're my guy. But see, David was in Bethlehem, but he was destined for Jerusalem. See, David was in Bethlehem, 
but he was destined for Jerusalem because that's where the king lived. And he was anointed to be the king. So he was in this weird waiting season because he'd been prophesied over, been anointed as king by Samuel, by, uh, Samuel, yeah, what did I say, Sam? By Samuel, but he wasn't there yet. How many of you know we're not there yet? We are a work in progress. But here's what I would like to say to you. David was in a waiting season, but while he was in that waiting season, he did not waste that season. Some of you are in a waiting season, and I challenge you, don't let your waiting season be a wasted season. Continue to serve. If you serve, you will succeed. And that's what happened to David. You can clap. I'm not Kevin Wallace with the hard part. I got a hard part, it's just shiny. <laughs> King Saul loved David, then he hated David. People have a hard time celebrating other people's success because of jealousy. People hate winners. People hate it when other people get contracts and awards and achievements and jealousy creeps in and that's what happened to King Saul. He loved him when he was the underdog, but when his success began to overshadow King Saul, he hated him. See, the Bible tells us that the people were celebrating saying, King Saul's killed his thousands, but David has killed tens of thousands. And when that took place, it put a target on David's back. All of the sudden, the love, the beloved one became the hated one. And the very King Saul who kicked him, who brought him into his house, kicked him out of the same house, sent him out. Not only did he send him out, he started chasing him, looking to take him out. Kicked him out, sent him out. And now he's going to try to take him out. But all he did was win. And each battle continued to serve King Saul kicked out, he had to be thinking, even back then, this was, this was before Ziklag. David had to be thinking, why God? I've been serving this man. I've been elevated. I've been winning. I've been doing everything I can. And I'm, I'm, I'm gaining territory, but he kicked me out of the house. Why God? I don't understand why God. Help me. He loved me, then he hates me. Why God? What did I do to deserve this treatment, God? Anybody ever ask that? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why would a loving God? I get this, I get this from my, my friends who are not believers, my acquaintances, <laughs> maybe I need to reword that, who are not believers, but why would a loving God allow that to happen? Apply that to your own situation. Why would a loving God allow your brother to die, Rich? He didn't have to die. What? Your God allowed that. Why would he, why would he allow that? What did I ever do to deserve this treatment? The shepherd boy gaining more land for the king who kicked him out. Prophesied over to be the king, slayed, his t slayed 1, 000, Saul slayed 1,000, David 10,000. But here's what happens. Sometimes when you're pursuing your destiny, the closer you get to God, the more the target gets on your back. The enemy is not for you. The enemy wants to kick you out, send you out, and take you out. He doesn't just want your possessions that they burned at Ziklag. He wants your integrity. The enemy wants your character. The enemy wants you to say, 
uh, it's okay if I do this, and it's okay if I say that, and it's, and I'm, ta- I'm not always talking about big stuff. I'm not, I'm not necessarily talking about big stuff. I'm talking about how the enemy creeps in with little stuff. You know what? You don't have to, you don't have to fully disclose everything because you're this close to getting that contract. You don't have to tell that buyer about this, about the sale, because you're this close to getting that contract. I told a car dealer the other day, I went shopping for a car, and I told a car dealer who lied to my face. I said, bro, you don't understand. It's already hard to trust a car dealer. You just made a huge mistake. See ya. Sayonara. Trust is awful. It's hard. It's, t- it's tough. The enemy wants your self-esteem. The enemy wants you dependent on substances to cure diseases that you probably don't even have. But see, he wants to make us dependent on things that he thinks that will bring us down. Self-esteem, anxiety. The most anxious time our, our country has ever felt is right now. And the only cure for anxiety is this pill and that pill and this pill and that pill. Sometimes the anxiety needs to be cured by prayer, not pills. The enemy wants our minds. He wants us to to believe that when we've lost something that we can't recover all. But the Bible is repetitive in 1 Samuel. It tells us that David recovered all, not some, all. And then by the way, he got so much, he took care of the 400 with him, the 200 that stayed back because they were tired, and 13 other cities. I got to think of it this way. Excuse my sick mind. Y'all know my analytical mind. I, I have to see things in pictures. And I just see it this way. He had two wives, Ahinoam and Abigail. I don't know how any man could have two wives. I really don't understand Solomon. I got the best wife. She's exceptional in every way. But I gotta be honest in this moment. I, I look at it from this perspective. If, if there was so much plunder, and David had two wives, in my house, I gotta think, my God, where would we put all the shoes? Anyway, as I was saying, he wants you to think that you're not loved, that you can't recover. He wants you to think that you're addicted. I hear this all the time. I'm addicted to this. I'm addicted to that. I'm, I'm addicted to this. And, and I got to get over this addiction and on and on and on. What we need to do is we need to get addicted to this. This is the truth. And last time I checked, there aren't any fact checkers looking into this book. Don't mess with this book. When you get through this book, you can get through anything else. Study the word and apply the word. The enemy wants your marriage. The enemy wants your marriage. 
Now, I'm so sick of, uh, y'all know, I, I, don't, I don't do well on social media. I'm not good at it. I, I try. Every now and then, I'll put something out there about my family, and I, I don't even know. I, they tell me I got a Facebook account my publisher set up 10 years ago. I don't even know that I do. I can't get to it. Don't have the password, but my kids put me out this little Instagram thing, and I try to do stuff with them, and I'll put that out there from time to time, but I'm not a, I'm not a big social media guy, but I believe the enemy is using social media because it's a highlight reel. And I believe that the enemy would tell my wife, you know, he used to have a full head of hair. He used to look like this guy on Instagram who, who is swift and sexy. He's 20 pounds heavier than his playing weight in college. And it's all dropped, it's dropped from the chest to the drawers. I told you before, it's, it's called the BCL. Y'all know what the BCL is? It's called below the Cheetos line. He wants your marriage. He wants to take you out. He wants you to think, oh, they don't look like they used to and I'm not in love with them anymore. He wants to take out your marriage because he hates you. He wants your purpose and your destiny. He wants to derail you from your destiny and that's what he was trying to do to David in this moment. He did not want David to fully ascend to the king. Neither did King Saul. See, in this life, you understand that when you're a threat to the enemy, that's when you get attacked. When you get attacked. Let me, let me say it this way. If, if I hold that bat right there that Daniel had a minute ago and, and I'm at home plate, that pitcher is probably going to throw three fastballs right down the middle. I'm going to look at all three of them, try to get out of the way of them because I'm not a threat. But when Hank Aaron holds that bat, Hank Aaron's not going to see three straight fastballs down. He's going to see curveballs and off-speed pitches and all the different things to trip him up because the greater the hitter, the more junk you're going to see from the pitcher. Only great hitters see curveballs. Sometimes I get unsettled during smooth seasons. The staff will tell you. I'm constantly saying, man, things are a little bit wor worrisome right now. What, what, what do you mean? It's smooth. We got peace. Everything's going well. Uh, we're not a threat. We're not being a threat if we're not under attack. Smooth seasons should unsettle you sometimes. Well, I just want peace in my house. You'll have peace because you know the source. But don't be afraid of the curveball. Bring it. I was, I was preaching to myself on my drive down this morning. And let me go ahead and give you, I, when I used to preach back in the days of, anybody remember the iPods before the iPhones and all that stuff? I was preaching to myself back in the day when I first got an iPod. One of the first downloads I had was Andre Crouch. Anybody remember Andre Crouch? So I got my Andre Crouch on my iPhone from my iPod from years ago, and I'm preaching to myself. And here's what, here's what Andre said. He said, you may ask me why I serve the Lord. Is it just for heaven's gain or to walk the mighty streets of gold and to hear the angels sing? Is it just to drink from the fountain that never shall run dry or just to live forever in the sweet old by and by? But if heaven never was promised to me, neither God's promise to live eternally, it's been worth just having the Lord in my life. Because I was living in a world of darkness and he came along and brought me the light. The download of the day, go download it, is Andre Crouch. 
if heaven was never promised. See, if, if, I, if I wasn't living for God for eternal life purposes, it's worth it to feel the Holy Ghost in your life. It's worth it to have the counselor, the comforter come into your life. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's been worth it. If the atheists are right and I'm wrong, it's still worth it to have the Holy Ghost, the comforter, the counselor. And I started preaching and I had it on repeat in this 35, 40 minute drive. And I listened to one song that's three minutes and 27 seconds, the whole 35 minutes. And it just kept going on repeat. And I got down here and exit 183 is closed. So I had to get off at Moore Road and it just hit me. And I said, you know what? I've been sick all week. I got a summer cold. I've been taking day quill and tiling my head feels like all this stuff. And that's just like you, isn't it, Satan? You want to attack me the week I got to preach. I, not, I'm not enough that you got to feel Kevin Wallace's pulpit, but you want to come after me the week I got to preach. And I'm going to get with my brother Andre, and I'm going to tell you right now, bring it. Bring it. Bring it, Satan, because God's got my back. And here's what I would tell you. In times of turmoil, it's time to trust. In times of trial, it's time to trust. You will never understand all the circumstances in your life, but your life is not defined by present circumstances. If it was, look at Job. Was his life determined by present circumstances? Bring it. Bring it, because God's got my back. In times of trial, how do you react? Do you turn your back on God or do you turn back to God? Three steps to recover it all. Write it down if you're taking notes. Three steps. When it all occurred and everything went down, David's crying out to God saying, why God? Why? Why God? So all he did was wept. The Bible said that they wept uncontrollably. One translation said they wept to exhaustion. One translation said they wept until their tears literally drew, dried up. They wept. It's impossible to go through loss without grieving. Grieving is a part of the process. If you love someone and you lose it, if you love something, someone, and you lose them or that, you will grieve. It hurts. Pain is real, okay? So he wept. The Bible said that he wept uncontrollably. His team turns on him. He's weeping even more, suffering loss, everything that he had. These were the darkest days of David's life. But God's not intimidated by darkness. That's where he does his best work. When it's quiet and still and dark about 3 a.m., I feel the Lord in my bed. I wake up at three o'clock, four o'clock. I woke up this morning several times and speak. Just speak. God, I have no need for nothing. I have no wants. I just want to hear your voice. Just speak. I'm listening. Show me your glory. Lord, let me feel your presence. I praise you for your presence. David wept. But even in his moment of weeping, in his moment of crying out, why God? He remembered that he was still my God. His weeping turned to worship. He called for the ephod. He said, go get me the ephod because even in this moment of loss, when I've lost it all, I cannot stop counting my blessings, naming them one by one. If heaven never was promised to me, it's been worth having the Lord in my life. He wept. 
he cried out, why God? He turned his weeping into worship and said, I don't know why God, but you're still my God. I still love you. I still want to serve you. I still want to be a man after your own heart. And then let me get, let me get just a little bit crass with you. Is, is that okay? I'll say it to you this way. I, growing up around here, around a lot of y'all, back in the 70s and 80s when I grew up, there was a little phrase, two words. My mom would have called it slang. She would have even probably thought it might be in vain. But the word God can be misconstrued into a lot of things, and I can't speak for people's intent. But I just remember back in the day when, when my redneck truck driving friends would come around, sometimes they would say, by God, by God, I'll tell you what. By God, I'll take you. By God, I'll. Anybody remember that? The Valley Girls came along and coined this phrase that you now use emojis for, OMG. Anybody remember the Valley Girls? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Now, my mother would be petrified if she was here right now. Holiness. God love her. I can't speak for your intent, but there's a whole emoji about it. But, but here's how I feel. If, if I say, why God? And he becomes my God. My weeping becomes worship. When I win, how did I win? By God. By God, we will win. By God, hell will pay. By God, this church is going forward in expansion by God, it's not the last campus in Cleveland. There's more on the way. By God, the internet influence will continue to grow. Our pastor's platforms will continue to grow. How? By God. So I believe a bold confidence came over David. I believe he went back to his boys and said, by God, we're going to go recover it all. I believe he give credit to God Almighty. How? By God. How did David get it all back? By God. In this situation, the, the man who said to his wife, hey, you, you think this is embarrassing the way I'm dancing? When she said, you look like a fool. You, you're embarrassing me. I'll become more undignified than that. You want to talk about embarrassing? Let me really embarrass you. I'll do some, I'll do some stuff that will freak you out. In that moment, David moved from why God to he's still my God to by God. But I love it when it says that David turned to God and said, shall I pursue them? Can I go get them? Can I go get my stuff back? Can I go get my wives back? Can I go get my children back, God? He literally asked for permission. He wasn't just asking for permission. He was asking for the promise. God's promises are still yes and amen. God, if I do this, do you have my back? And I love it because he heard from God. 3 a.m., I'm laying there, God, speak. God, I just want to see your glory. God, show us what you want us to do. God, can we go get our stuff back? 
Can we go get it all back? And God said, I've got your back. So picture it this way, again, in modern day times, when, when they went into battle, I gotta believe this. In order to recover it all, you need a covering. David was asking God for the covering. Anybody in law enforcement? Where's Sam? Sam's in law enforcement. Anybody else? You in law enforcement? If you're, if you're going into a, a tough situation, you normally have a partner. And right before you kick the door down, you look at them and you say, cover me. See, in order to recover it, you need to have a covering. Where does that covering come from? By God. It comes from God. So when they're providing that covering, my God becomes by God. Overflow, abundance, plunder, excess. It's all yours. I'm gonna do something in just a minute and I want you, if you're in this room before we close, I'm gonna give you a heads up. If you've got a Gen Zer, we're gonna pray for Gen Z momentarily. So I'm gonna ask you if you've got a Gen Zer, I want you to, to find them if they're in the room and we're gonna have a time of prayer for them. But trials start focusing into truth. It's through truth where we triumph. And I'm gonna close it out. I know it's early, but I think we need to have a time of prayer. I, I will give you this. When we have a problem, David had a problem. David sought the promise. And because he sought the promise, he got the present. What was the present? The presents were so much under that Christmas tree that he took it to 13 cities. That's my God, who exceeds every need, who's on the throne today, who is the answer to everything that you could ever propose. Stand with me. When I see God blessing someone, when, when you look at the life of David, when you look at the lives of those that you think are so blessed, sometimes you flip it around and you say, why, why God? Why are they so blessed? Where's my portion? Why God? Would you be willing to go through what David went through? I can't say that I would. I don't know what he felt in that moment when he came home and everything he'd ever worked for was gone. Wife kidnapped, kids kidnapped, squad turns on him. I don't know in that moment that I would say, yeah, I'm willing to go through that, not knowing what's on the other side. When you see people that are blessed, sometimes you just need to ask the question, what did they have to go through to get to that level of blessing? And if I found out what it was, would I be willing to go through that? Would you be willing to die for your friends? How about would you be willing to die for the thief? See, the cross of Christ, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. No respecter of persons, no past is so prominent that you can't be forgiven. Rich, you don't know what I did in my past. I don't care what you did. And as little as I care, he cares even less. 
So today, wherever you are and whatever you're doing, and I told you we're gonna pray for Gen Z after this, but we never close a service without an opportunity for you to receive Christ, to be forgiven of your sins, to rededicate your life. I, you know, Rich, I was raised in a Christian home and I, maybe I've strayed a little bit. I, I've gotten a little bit out there. I got, I got one foot in the world and one foot in the word. I need to rededicate my life. Today's your day. As the altar team comes, I want you to prepare, prepare your hearts for this moment. These are trusted people who have been trained to pray with you. And we're gonna take a minute, and I literally mean a minute. I'm gonna give you 60 seconds because the king's business takes haste. If God's tugging on your heart today and saying, hey, I want you back. I've got you back and I want you back. Come abide with me. Come be a part of my world. Let me, let me do for you all that I can do. Let, let's pursue your purpose together. David was in Bethlehem, destined for Jerusalem in a waiting season. You're in a waiting season today. You don't know what's on the other side, but you're pursuing your destiny. If that's you, all eyes open, all heads not bowed, everybody looking around, are you bold enough to say, that's me? Raise your hand. That's me. That's me. That's me. That's me. That's me. That's me. That's too many to count. Are you bold enough to say, yeah, I've been, I've been crying out, why God? But I still want him to be my God. Are you bold enough to say that? Take the steps and come down and pray with us. Come on, if you raise your hands, come on down, dozens of you. Today's your day. Can you celebrate these people? Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I need more prayer workers. If you're a staff member, I need more prayer workers. Trusted prayer workers, you can talk to them. They will pray with you. Today is your day. Now for the rest of you, if you're a parent, it's three weeks till school starts. My undergraduate was in education. I'm passionate about kids. I, I always was bothered by teachers who liked teacher planning days better than teaching days. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I get a lot more done when the kids aren't here. Man, that, your job is the kids. That's what it's all about. Raise your hand if you're a parent of a Gen Zer. That's seven to 27. Seven to 27. I wanna pray specifically for you if you can, if you're a parent, if you got your kid with you, come down, there's a section right here. Come down, I wanna pray for all the Gen Zers and Gen Z parents. All the Gen Zs and Gen Z parents. I wrote a specific prayer out designed just for you today. All the Gen Zs and Gen Z parents. Three weeks school is gonna start. Look at the people, my God, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Can, can you say we believe in the next generation? Look at this, this most of the church, most of the people here today.
Come on, keep making room right here. All the Gen Z's and Gen Z parents fill in this spot. We still got people all the way back in the aisles. Come down as close as you can. Come on down. Keep praying, church. If you're out there and this, this does not apply to you, it still applies to you. Stretch your hand this way and pray for this next generation, Gen Z. I couldn't get away from this. It's all I've been thinking about. I'm consumed. My staff will tell you that we're reading a book called Generation Z. And that's all we talk about is how do we reach this next generation? What will our legacy be? How do we pass this thing on? How do we not lose traction and momentum? This is the most passionate generation that's ever lived. They are very cause oriented. They believe in a cause. They will fight you for their cause. They will protest peacefully in the streets over anything that they believe in. They're passionate. And here's what I wrote down. If you're down here and you're a Gen Z or you're a Gen Z parent, look right at me, please. I want you to see the passion. Here's what I want you to see, Gen Z. If you're a Gen Z student, stretch your hand toward me. This year, 2023, 2024, Gen Z, you as a student will have your best year academically. Your best year academically. Your grades will be better than they've ever been before because you will work harder than you've ever worked before. There will be no limitations put on you. You will not believe the lie that you can't learn, that you can't excel, that you can't achieve. It will be your best year academically. It will be your best year musically. Do I have any musical people? Maybe you write music, maybe you play an instrument, maybe you're a rap music person. God can use all of that. It will be your best year musically. Do we have any drama students? It will be your best year dramatically. You will act better than you've acted before. You will be the lead in the school plays. You will be the leader of the tr drama troops. Athletically, any athletes in here? You play ball, you play some. This will be your best year athletically. May God provide you health. No injuries. He protects your body. He keeps you safe. And you achieve accolades because you give the praise and the glory back to God. You take no credit for it yourself. Scholarships. Somebody claim a scholarship right now. Academic scholarships athletic scholarships, music scholarships, drama scholarships, service-oriented scholarships in Jesus' name. So it's academically, musically, athletically, dramatically. How about this one? Behaviorally. The teacher doesn't have to say you talk too much in class. Behaviorally. You know what else that means? That you treat others with kindness that they will look to you and say, that person is a kind person. They're not a bully. And when bullies attack others, you step in and say, no, it ain't like that. We're not doing that behaviorally. So academically, musically, athletically, dramatically, and behaviorally. Parents, let me talk to you for a minute. Stretch your hand this way. I am one. I am one. Let me speak to you from experience. I'm older than most of you. Doesn't mean anything other than I'm balder than most of you. But we've been through this stuff. God gives you the right amount of encouragement. 
that it is received as encouragement, not pressure and stress. That you don't ask your children to achieve something that you were not able to achieve because you live vicariously through them. God help us to know the right level of encouragement to put on our children. That you are able to celebrate the success of your children without taking credit for it. That when your child achieves success, you turn the glory back to God because that's where it came from to start with. This year, stretch your hands this way. Everybody under the sound of my voice, business people, marketplace ministry, all God's people. School starts in three weeks and that's kind of where we flip the calendar year. I know January's when we start, but there's kind of a new season that starts in August, two to three weeks away. May this be the best year of your life. May the third quarter end unbelievably and may the fourth quarter be the season of success. May you achieve accolades and do great works. The Bible calls them great exploits. King James Version, great. May you do great exploits at whatever God's called you to do. May you understand that you may not work at a church, but you are in full-time ministry. You are a minister of the gospel. You are an example of Jesus Christ. You are an ambassador of Jesus Christ. May you lead your families better than you've led them before. May your children and grandchildren look at you and say, I wanna be like them. May God equip you where you're unequipped and train you where you're untrained. May success overflow in plunder that you have enough to take care of everybody in 13 more cities. In Jesus' name, everybody stretch your hands this way. Peace, protection, prosperity, promotion, productivity, extreme success, supernatural success, 100% protection from head to toe as we pursue our destiny in you. Now go get a hot dog. Have a great week. Be here next week. Pastor Kevin said while he's out, he needs you to be all in. Be here next week. We love you.